Okay, before we get started on this episode, we want to give everyone out there a tip. This tip is directly related to your balls. And our hearts. And your wallets. Okay, we've been in talks for a few weeks now with Manscaped.com, who has been gracious enough to send us packages for our packages so we could test out and sample their products and pass the savings on to you with a promo code. It's a Mimic 21. That's all one word with no apostrophe or anything. It's a Mimic 21. You can check out the description in the show notes below for it, and it gets you 20% off of the products on their website. Look, don't skip this. These products are game changers for a new modern man. It's not the 1970s anymore. Shag carpets are out and hardwood flooring is in, friends. Look, I was a bit skeptical at first. I'm not a big hedge trimmer kind of guy normally. I prefer and embrace a warrior's mane. But I have to say that this is definitely turning me around. You don't have to be as smooth as a newborn dolphin in order to be clean. And a proper pubic plumage pruning can just mean keeping yourself neat and presentable. Well, I like a nice clean undercarriage on my heavy machinery, and I have been so freaking excited about this since we started talking to them. The Lawnmower 4.0, that's what the main razor is called, has revolutionized my whole process. It's like when the logging industry went from axes to chainsaws, except the chainsaws are safer, faster, easier to use, and actually really well designed. Look, I'm going to be real with you all for a second here. Shaving my balls has always been a precarious situation at best. It's not like a cheek or a neck or even an armpit or leg. Guys, the operating surface is in 3D. There are angles and roundabouts and, Dan, there are textures that I can't even begin to describe. And we all wish you wouldn't. Let's just say that the landscape is riddled with traps. It's a war zone down there. Yeah, but the Manscaped products have cutting-edge ceramic blades, get it? Cutting edge. And they also have advanced skin-safe technologies that help to reduce the accident. The fact that it has an LED spotlight that illuminates your unspeakables makes the whole thing easier and safer. The Lawnmower 4.0 even has guard lengths to help you customize your topiary. And it also has wireless charging, which just blew my freaking mind. I looked into it and the new wireless charging system of the Lawnmower 4.0 uses electromagnetic induction to help with battery life too. <laughs> In a razor? Yep. Oh, that's, Dan, that's nuts. It's nuts, Dan. Guys, if you've been using face razors on your nether bits, you need to stop. Especially if you're using the exact same razor upstairs as downstairs. It's time to treat yourself and your significant other. Or others. And make me time the best time. You don't need a wingman if you already show up with two sleek, slick boys who are always ready to impress the ladies. That's actually a good point. Ladies, if you think this doesn't apply to you, well, think again. You know those gifts that he gets you for Christmas or your birthday or whatever that are really just gifts for him? These are the, honey, I love you. Here's a big screen TV for you that I want to install right before the big game. Those kind of gifts? Well, it's time to return the favor. Give him a product that's going to help him feel fresh and clean, but keeps you happier in the long run. It's always more fun to play in a clean playground, isn't it? And for those of you who don't know this already and are wondering if the lawnmower is right for you, let me remind you that a statue always looks bigger when you cut back the foliage around it. And no one likes to get unsightly foliage in their mouths. Look, your balls will thank you. So head over to manscaped.com and use the promo code ITSAMIMIC21 to get 20% off their products and free shipping. Again, that's manscaped.com, promo code ITSAMIMIC21. You can also check the show notes below. Because you want to reduce the risk of nicks on your nuts. You want to feel better and stay cleaner from navel to tailbone. And you want to lower the chances of ingrown hairs and other accidents. Believe me, I spent like 20 minutes yesterday shining up the family jewels. And I will tell you now that I was freaking amazed at the difference. <laughs> you mean like the difference before and after? 
No, I mean like the difference between the lawnmower and the other razors I've tried in the past. Lawnmower 4.0 is absolutely superior in every way. Well, I was a carpenter for years, and let me tell you that using the right tool for the right job is always the path to success. Did you guys use the deodorant and ball toner? Uh, I gave the boys a quick spritz, yeah. Uh, no. I was distracted by the weed whacker. It's a nose and ear trimmer that they sent us. I got all sorts of clean and revitalized orifices now, and it was such a simple and painless process. Hold on, I brought them with me because I wanted to talk about them. Uh, give me your wrist. That sounded like weak ejaculation. It smells so goddamn good. <laughs> it, it really does. Man, I want to rub it on my face, actually. <laughs> the weak ejaculation? He says rubbingly. The... <laughs> was that, sorry, was that the deodorant or the ball toner? It was that, that, what, that was the ball toner, I think, wasn't it? That was the ball toner. Yeah. Okay, so ball toner, if you don't know, is like a little spray down below. It gives you a pick-me-up, a freshness, if you don't have the time between the end of work and then like a date. It's not a shower replacement, but... It, it's like a breath mint if you can't brush your teeth, right? It's a courtesy thing, and uh, it actually feels pretty great. It smells good, too. The thing I like about it is that it smells almost natural. Yeah, it's not like you dipped your balls into a strawberry milkshake or anything. You still smell like a man. You just smell like a clean man. And there's something to be said for, you know, like the confidence boost you feel. Even if you're not out waving your sword every night, staying clean and fresh just feels better. So head on over to manscaped.com and enter the promo code It's a Mimic 21 to get 20% off any of these amazing products. Your balls will thank you. Or as I like to say, clean up your dungeon so your dragon looks bigger, feels better, and gets to roll initiative more often. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of which, let's kick Terry out and get Brad in here for the actual episode. Sure. So with the three of us sitting here around the table, I want to know if we had a coven, what would the name of our coven be? Oh, no. Uh... I didn't think I'd stump you. <laughs> okay, well, what needs to be... Well, no, we're clearly the three stooges, right? We've got the bald guy, and then the curly guy. The curly guy. Yeah, so, like, we're, we're clearly the three stooges. And you're just giving yourself Mo? Mo, pretty much. Egotistical bastard. <laughs> well! <laughs> Why I oughta? <laughs> nyah, nyah, nyah. It's a Mimic, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on big, bad, evil guys and Dungeons and Dragons that we like to call Portfolios. I'm Dan and with me today are Adam and Brad and this episode is called Hags. A little anti-social. It's anti-social. God. Who calls them an auntie? Uh, British people. I suspect uh, that was just for Terry. Well, that's the Terry edit. Yeah. Anyways, we have previously covered Beholders, Illithids, and the Elder Elementals, Celestials, high-powered constructs, and some of the biggest, nastiest monstrosities from both the Forgotten Realms and the Magic the Gathering campaign settings. For all of these and more, including a buttload of humanoid mob monsters and a whole pile of fiends, you can jump over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps or you could check out our YouTube page and playlist on monsters that we've built there. This episode of the It's a Mimic podcast focuses on one of the most popular big bad evil guys at Wizards of the Coast, Hags. They've been lurking around in the handful of published adventures, and there's a surprising amount of lore and information about them in 5th edition. Enough, in fact, that we, this panel of Dungeon Masters, had to break it all down into multiple episodes. This one focuses on the true OGs, which stands for Old Girls, which are the Green Hags. This episode also dives into the murky waters of sea hags and sea furies, and the nightmares that they bring. I love hags, I love their weirdness and their deceptions, and I'm so excited to finally get down to these hag episodes. 
But before we get started, I have to ask you guys, how do you guys feel about hags? I love them. Yeah, I think they're one of the fantastic, like, bad evil guys that just don't get used enough. Well, they're they're one of the ones that, like, whenever we think about Dungeons and Dragons, they're one of the iconics, right? Like... They, they, for people who've been around a while, they are. Yeah. If you have played, they're iconic. If you yes. haven't, you think Beholders and Mind Flayers and Dragons. right? Yeah. They don't show up in the art. They don't show up outside of the community. They're never they're never on the cover. You don't get a whole bunch of cool fan art for them. Yeah. It's not elves and dwarves and tieflings, as far as the eye can see. Yeah. But hags are fucking awesome. And if you played for a year, you've run into hags. I mean, they're also one of those ones that has a very sturdy foundation in the real world as well. Like, Beholders are weird, but they're D&D. The other thing, too, about hags is that you get them early. Yes. Oh, right. yeah. They're, yes, they're, they're tier one, tier one, two, two problems, if you get a which means problem. all of the publications, everything that's come out right now, which is tier one and tier two, little bit of tier three sometimes... Is right where the hags live, yeah. right? Same with yeah. giants. That's why you run into them kind of everywhere. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. The same way that you run into skeletons when you do a dungeon. And environmental, right? You've got one for every environment as it, well. So it, you're going, wherever you're playing, you can run into one. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's why we don't necessarily always run into celestials or any of the other high-powered stuff. But you are going to see hags regularly. And also they're devious little fucks. So yeah, they like are. Them. There's a lot you can do with them. And a lot of flavor to them too. Well, we have broken down some of the information on them. Adam, do you want to get us started by the world, uh, sorry, the real world uh, cultural touchstones of where we get hags from? Sure. But before we go any further, please allow me two minutes on my soapbox. Because oh no. Oh, no. Um, before we get into the fun of Dungeons and Dragons Unseelie Fae, it's worth pointing out that in common usage, the word hag is a rated PG derogatory term usually meant to demean a woman. Online, I've often seen it used by clearly insecure men who are attempting to use inflammatory speech to undercut a woman who is A, middle-aged or older, and B, unhappy about something. It's often used to drag down women in power, and there isn't a female politician in recent years who hasn't had the words slung in their direction. It has definite ties to misogyny these days and is used as a softer version of the word bitch. Regardless, we at the It's a Mimic podcast don't support that kind of shit, and if you don't like it, you can fuck right off and have a great summer. We're all <laughs> for a good-natured ribbing and an intelligent insult here, but hag, unlike bitch, is always a direct insult toward a specific group of people, and that, my friends, makes it a slur. Yeah. We don't condone it as such, and neither should you. In fact, I think that as nerds, we should push for a reappropriation of the term and return it to its mythical roots. Yeah, I'm down for that. So, its origin lies in the Germanic languages, and all the origins of Old English, Old High German, and Dutch, uh, the origins in those words that uh, are shortened to resemble the sound of hag or hags, as it tends to uh, come across in German. Hags. I can't speak German, but that's my that's my my impression. Hold I'm sure on. the German listeners will come and correct you. Yeah, hey, we're big in Germany. <laughs> yeah, they, they will. Um, so you can actually trace the origins back to the Proto-Germanic word of I'm going to do my best here, guys. Hagetsuchon, and uh, it actually may be based on an even older word that means hedge, which is neat if you think that hags may share a similar origin with hedge wizards. Oh, cool. Hmm. Are you familiar with the idea? For those of you that don't know about a hedge wizard, a hedge wizard in D&D specifically, but also in other fantasy lore, is a magic user who is self-taught. They don't have any innate ability, but there's a self-taught um, nature to small-level magics like cantrips. They do minor herbalism potions and elixirs or, or scrolls. Right? Yeah. So the idea that 
hags are self-taught or, or at least, you know, passed down mm-hmm. through, I guess, from their grannies, mm-hmm. right? It, it kind of lines nice. up and, it, nice. yeah, and I kind of like that. So um, I tried to source out a proper definition of the word in modern zeitgeist and came up with a common overall view. According to dictionary.com, a hag is an ugly old woman with evil powers. According to Wikipedia, a hag is a wizened old woman or a kind of fairy or goddess that have the appearance of such a woman often found in folklore and children's tales such as Hansel and Gretel. Hags are often seen as malevolent but may also be one of the chosen forms of shape-shifting deities such as the Morrigan or Bav who are seen as neither wholly benevolent nor malevolent. According to the Harry Potter wiki, a hag was a savage being that looked like an ugly old witch but had more warts. (laughs) They had four toes on each foot, had a taste for the flesh of human children, and possessed rudimentary magic similar to that of a troll. Many muggles tended to think that hags were what witches looked like and were therefore popular in muggle literature. All of these definitions paint a similar picture of an ugly old woman with dubious intent who has an access to abnormal powers. And when we start to dig through folklore, we find more than a few examples of this. Of course, there's the witch from Hansel and Gretel, but there are also Peg Powler, the river hag who pulls children into the water and drowns them if they get too close to the river. She supposedly has skin the color of pond scum, a green hag, right? Nice, yep. And was used to warn children. Depending on your region, you would find other versions of her, like Jenny Greenteeth, Nellie Longarms, and Grindelow. Then there's Scylla, the sea hag from Greek mythology, and Baba Yaga, who lives in a house on massive chicken legs. A very old legend tells of Old Hag, that's that's the name, Old Hag, who would sit on children while they slept to make it difficult for them to breathe. That's kind of like Night Hags. They yeah, and, like and that. that's a common theme moving forward. So we're getting a pretty good image here of consistent cruelty, wicked weirdness, and an odd affinity for hurting children. Obviously, these old wives' tales were used to keep children in line, but there's a definite picture being painted of Hag's being so alien in nature that they're beyond what one might imagine a standard witch to be. While a witch may be someone who rides a broom and stirs a cauldron, a hag might ride a giant dragonfly and boil children alive. They both have ties to magic and the idea of strange feminine powers, but a witch is very much human. Hags are not. I've mentioned the three fates, who are Clotho, Atropos, and Lachesis, on the podcast before, and sometimes these fates are depicted as being hags. Even the three witches at the beginning of Macbeth are often shown as hags. If you're out buying Halloween decorations and you come across some witchy decor, look out for green skin, yellow eyes, or other typically unnatural features. Chances are good you've got a hag on your hands and not a witch. So, what are some of the different kinds of hags that exist out there? Well, there are boo hags, the the hags that slide out of their skin So they can enter a victim's home through tiny cracks in the walls and ride the victims while they steal their breath and energy little by little each night. There's Kikimora, the Slavic house spirit and guardian of chickens, who hides behind the stove and makes rodent noises in order to be fed. Again, these creatures sit on the chest of victims and steal breath away, and they look like old women. There's some wicked fairy godmother, of course, and some people even consider banshees to be the form of hags. Muma Paduri of Romanian folklore is a forest protector who drives off unwanted visitors by driving them mad. Black Annis of English folklore has a blue face, long arms, iron claws, and a taste for lambs and children. We, of course, get a hag in D&D that's clearly based on her. The Annis hag. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the Badabat, which is a hag from Filipino folklore 
that is an obese tree-dwelling female spirit that gets revenge on anyone who chops down her tree. If her tree is used as building materials and someone sleeps near it, that Batabat will transform into her true self while the victim sleeps and, you guessed it, sit on their chest and steal their breath away. The point here is that hags, no matter where they're from, have some common tropes beyond the magical powers and ugly demeanor. Like, they like to attack children, they like to attack people who are asleep, and they aren't human, and they're connected to nature somehow. And remember, they're always female. Exclusively so. So, how does this translate to D&D? Well, still, they're always female, and they're always fey, except the night hag, but that's a topic for another episode. They, like witches, form covens, but the covens of hags are always in threes by traditional D&D lore. I expect that this is inspired by the Fates or Macbeth. Baba Yaga and her house definitely exist in Greyhawk, and now the Forgotten Realms in 5th edition, and their ugly grows weird and a little insane. Dungeons and Dragons does seem to blur the lines between witches and hags a little more, though, as D&D hags lean into cauldrons, familiars, potions, and bargains with villagers, which are traditionally witch things. Yes. But one thing is absolutely clear in 5th edition. Hags are a big fucking deal. They are easily one of the more active and proactive villains in the published 5e materials so far. And chances are good that you will find a hag as early as tier 2 to be a villain. Or, or worse. They're often used as side plots and minor schemers, but they can become a lot deadlier if you aren't careful. After all, they have enough tricks up their sleeves to give any DM the power to fuck with their party. And their sneaky, duplicitous ways and their bizarre intelligence means that you rarely, if ever, get the drop on a hag, as Dan has learned the hard way. Oh, multiple times. Facing off against covens in my campaigns. Yeah. Um, so let's actually break down what we get for hags in Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, they are one of the poster childs for cruelty and evil in D&D. They are withered, immortal, and uh, Volos does say that their lifespans extend beyond that of even elves and dragons. So they're more immortal than other mm. immortal things. Elves and dragons are not immortal, immortal. in D anD. d They are in Tolkien, and they are in other fantasy sources, but not in D anD. d They have they're life just long lived. Long lived. Yeah. Might as well be immortal for us young for, humanoids. Oh yeah. Anyways, so they are. Uh, these are actually immortal crones then, who are filled and fueled with malicious wickedness. They originate from the Fey Wild, but carry none of the beauty that that realm. Um, Short of a dark, whimsical naming habit. They are crooked, uh, withered, wispy, uh, sorry. They are crooked, with thin, wispy, wet hair, blistered, blemished, and sick, pale, sickly skins with boils and warts. Their clothes are usually tattered, worn, filthy, and their voices are hard, shrill, and menacing. Universally magical, but not divine, and very specifically not divine because they hate the gods, and they will blaspheme them whenever they can. They're also incredibly powerful, with the most powerful being able to even rival an archfey. Okay, and we're not talking about in a coven situation either. Okay, these are typically old hags and are reverently called grandmother by other hags. Their mass, uh, their magic is also weird, and that's a technical term. It defies both traditional paths of magics of arcane and divine thought. Mechanically. You can look at the charm section of the DMG and then apply an appropriately leveled spell effect to it. Like a bat's wing, broken and covered with thick red paste that when torn in half and thrown, create a fireball. Mix this in with traditional spell casting and they get pretty beastly pretty quick. These weird charms are also consumable items and because of that, 
any DM custom making them should limit a hag to one or two uses of them per fight, as they can alone outbalance an encounter fast, and since you only have one or two, can also make them memorable. Now, hags don't reproduce in the typical way that you would think. They actually reproduce by stealing humanoid infants and eating them. A week after the consumption of a humanoid infant, the hag will birth a daughter who looks human until about her 13th birthday. Yay, numerology. When at that point, she transformed into an identical version of her quote-unquote mother. That is how hags reproduce. They also believe themselves to be the smartest and most wise of all creatures, and they want you to know it. They are excellent sources of lore, magic, or dark knowledge, as long as you come to them with proper deference and manners. And no info is given freely. Bargains can be made that the hag engineers to cause the downfall of anyone foolish enough to enter an agreement with them. These deals are not like those of the fiendish devils. Where a devil wants your soul, the hag wants the joy of watching your life crumble around you in your lifetime. They are experts in vice and desire as well, and will flavor their bargain to entice even the most stalwart paladin. Their deals always go sour as well. Either the request is taken to extreme, like a child will find their beloved pet, but it will be rabid and will have to be put down, or a woman will fall in love with a doting suitor, only to grow violent, jealous, and obsessive. You know, I think that they, you know the genie's wish or the monkey's paw shit? Yeah, that, yeah. That's like the leprechaun deal that's going to blow up in your face. Hags take that on more so than genies or other fae do in D&D. Yes, 100%. Within D&D, yeah, e- Even sure. devils will abide by their contract and not fuck well, you. that's the lawfulness. Um, right. The, the, like, read the fine print, but yeah. there's no fine print with the hag. It's a verbal contract yeah. open to interpretation after the fact. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And hags love their deals. They will often um, live close to surrounding villages just to make sure the village knows that they're roughly in the area. And then they will sprinkle discord and various harmful effects in the area to try to entice people to come to them to make these deals. They are actively pursuing making a deal to watch someone's life crumble around them. And that is just the most evil and corrupt thing I could think. So I I, I love that. You got to think with that level of evilness and corruption, you live that long, you got to find a way to entertain yourself. This is a natural fit. Oh, I, I guess so. Yeah. You know, the only other thing I think that I know off the top of my head that does that in D&D is a green dragon. But green dragons are way more subtle and they don't, want you to know that they're they're doing it yeah yeah I th- they're more subtle in the in the their presence whereas the hags are basically they're not waving a flag per se but but you know they're there yeah right? i don't know i've seen some hag flags i like that'll be a thing definitely come to me i will help yeah but they may be posing as a weird woman or a seer or something else right yeah absolutely they would be hiding themselves as a hag but they would let you know that they are there Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the other thing about hags is they love the twisted, broken, and dead things of the world and will decorate themselves and their hovels with bones, corpses, dried or pelt wet, organs, and filth. They hate beauty and will take it upon themselves to attempt to fix someone they think is too pretty. And fix in a hag way is to disfigure them in some way. Claw attack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This will sometimes involve infecting with disease or plague or just straight up murder as well. Their homes and lairs are the same. They sit in inhospitable places where the environment itself can kill a visitor before ever knocking on the door to a hag's home. That said, they aren't far, like I mentioned before, from human settlements. And with the desire to corrupt and destroy humanoids, 
through their devious deals too great for the hag to resist. For such evil characters, though, they have a code, primarily that amongst other hags. They may hate each other, but they not only know of and respect each other, they also go out of their way to greet and be hospitable to other hags and will never break another promise to a hag unless the promise was made with, in the Monster Manual it says, fingers crossed. Which leads me to believe hags are also incredibly superstitious. Doesn't say that explicitly anywhere, but... They, they, look, they're omens and totems, and it makes perfect sense that they would fork the evil eye at you to yeah. cast a spell. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah, like, they they would purposely put ladders around their house just so you would walk under one. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Keep black cats in the neighborhood. Yeah. Have some br- mirrors just waiting for you to trip over and break. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, they are creatures of chaos, and they are often unpredictable and dangerous. So, players, give a hag a wide berth. Sidebar. You had wide birth written in here, but like the wrong kind of birth. And I'm like, well, they are spewing children out. Like, how fast is the development on? This is going to get weird and gross quickly. A week. A week. A week is. Oh, I know. But like, that's a. Uh, you know, when they reach like 13 years, do you think that they have like this really short gestation period? Like, it's a year a day? Oh, turning into the hag? Or is no, it instantaneous? I, 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 I think instantaneous. It, I think it's like you wake up the morning of your, like the day after your 13th birthday and you are a hag. Oh, see, I pictured the day of your Look, 13th birthday, a slow progression over the day. But by the end of the day, you're, you've gone you're, you're from 13-year-old. You're thinking like Teen Wolf level. Yeah, thing. you've yeah. gone from 13-year-old to hag over No, no, no I, I was thinking like you are one years old on Monday. You are two years old on Tuesday. You are three years old on Wednesday. Because they're not birthing. It's not like regular fae where they are trading babies. They birth the child, the daughter, and then they keep them. Yes, dude. Well, yeah, yes and no. Not always. Sometimes they keep them. Other times they let them go live back in the human villages um, and be adopted just to watch the chaos of someone living that full 13 years of life, the family growing attached over 13 years, and then it's shattering when they turn into that monstrosity. A hag loves that shit. They live for that shit. They would probably build a deal specifically to have the opportunity to do that. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I, I just... Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we mentioned that hags are also fae and they sit neither in the seely or unseely courts. Both courts have no time for hags because both courts still like beauty. Okay. The, although the summer and winter queens, or as Volo says, the queen of air and darkness, um, know that hag is still so poorly defined. Yeah. 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 Um, queens know that a hag is a valuable source of hidden lore, forbidden knowledge, or forbidden treasures, but they cannot handle the hideousness of the creatures, so they only do a deal with them from afar when there's no other options available or by proxy. Okay? Let's talk about what a hag's proxies are. A witch or a hag never really likes being alone. They will employ through an interesting charm, spell, or just plain old leverage the services of a creature for abuse and protection. Volo does let us know that this could be anything from the payment of a deal to a spell that will cause the creature's heart to stop if they disobey the twisted fae grandmother's will. This isn't limited to just one creature too. That's more of a bare minimum. The hag will also enthrall a large group of innocents to hide from a holy paladin's rage. Volo specifically mentions like a whole group of farmers that the hag will then stand behind. Yeah, paladin won't touch the farmers, but he can't get to the hag without going through them. Yeah, and, and just to watch what the paladin does. Like, come on, come get me. Oh, you killed one. Wow, that was a step. <laughs> <laughs> 
The corruption of the hag will take hold of such minions and pets with time too, and they will become misshapen equally as the hags themselves. There are charts to further help an aspiring DM choose a servant or brute to aid their hag mothers. Um, and that's on page 62 of Volos. Now you can roll a d8 for servants or a d12 for brutes and get a selection of things like a rug of smothering or 1d4 flame skulls. Um, or 1d6 plus 2 edder caps, 1d4 plus 2 werewolves, or 1d4 fucking oni. Yikes. Yeah, that's fun. That's big. Imagine right. four oni, and then you get well, to the... Well, you think. A green hag, which is uh, CR of... Again, one, which is... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, which is a CR of three, and an oni, which is a CR of what, nine? Yeah. Uh, like, they're... It's up there. They're up there. So... The even the oni, these massively powerful creatures, are enticed into these deals with the hags, and the hags then control them. It's like, wow, you're really big and powerful. I like you. You're going to do everything I want you to. Remember, the challenge rating is based on combat only. The yes. influence of a hag is far more widespread and insidious than what the oni are probably used to. So they could offer things like fame, fortune, glory, even though it's not written in the stat block, right? That the, yeah, the Oni may want. Or, hey, I can just provide you with food. Once a month, come by here, and I will have just a cage full of kids. Yeah, absolutely. Like, hags, their strength isn't in their combat stats. We'll get into it. Well, but it, it is. Well, they all reach outside of their CR level. Yes. Definitely. Especially the covens. Yes. However... I think you're right. Like, their their real power is in their role play. They don't want to be fought. They want to be... They, basically, they're going to try and entice you outside of combat, and that's where their strengths are highest. Yeah. yeah. So, let's talk about the base hag we have in D&D very specifically, and that is the green hag, okay? They are the traditional crone in the deep of the woods. Green hags like to draw people to them by mimicking the screams of a crying child or hurt loved one and then isolating them and torturing them, all to watch hope and joy fade from their eyes. I view they get this from living close to a town, and they just sit there and listen. It's like, oh, that baby's crying. I will then mimic that later. Oh, uh, no, they send in ravens, and they get the ravens to come back and mimic Oh, that's ravens. even better. Love that. They are CR3, but if they are part of a coven, that goes up to a CR5. Also keep in mind... That if they're part of a coven and their CR is higher, there are three of them. So individually... Each one is, is CR5. Correct. The yeah. coven is not CR5. Yeah. Now, for their CR, they have surprisingly good AC at 17. A mountain of hit points, which must be hardy living with all that filth and not getting cholera. Um, they have incredible strength and a strong con with high-end moderate social stats. Okay. They excel at stealthing through the woods and finding victims. They breathe both air and water, which is cool, but would be far cooler if they also had a swim speed, which they don't. I don't know like green hags need a swim speed. They're waiting. They're not swimming. Yeah, I, I honestly see them as just stepping back four feet into the swamp and slowly sinking into it, smiling as they disappear from view. I'm 100%. And that's what that's for. I'm with you. I would be okay with a swim speed of 20 feet. It doesn't have to match their land speed. But at least something better than that. Because if they could breathe water, they should exist in water. I'd want to see them have some benefit of a swim speed. 
I mean, they have high strength, so I guess they're just strong swimmers anyways. Right, but you got to keep in mind, too, that they're going to sink down into the swamp smiling. You're going to run up to the bank to be like, okay, where'd they freaking go? And then three giant toads are going to come out at you, right? Like, you're still not done with the hag. Yeah, I guess it's fair. You don't need a swim speed because the hag has got minions, motherfucker. <laughs> now, the green hag also gets that mimicry ability that I mentioned earlier, as well as innate spell casting. Um, specifically the cantrips, Dancing Light, Minor Illusion, and Vicious Mockery. I really, really want them to get Otto's Irresistible Dance. They do in Covens. Yeah. But not as the base Green Hag. Um, Now, if forced into a physical confrontation, we did mention that they have these massive claw attacks, which, as a CR3, is a plus 6 to hit with 2d8 plus 4 damage. Like, holy shit, that's these things a pack a decent, punch. At a CR4, that's a good punch. Yeah. Or imagine, 3, sorry, CR3. Imagine four level 3 party, like yeah. level 3 characters going up against this thing. Your barbarian has, what, 36 health? And this thing could take him down in two hits? Uh, 36, but it's acting like 72. Yes. Uh, well, I guess that's true. Are they yeah. magical weapons? They're Laws not are not magical. Yeah. yeah. Now... They can also create an illusory shroud around herself to make herself seem like another humanoid creature of about the same relative size. You can see through this by looking at it as an action with a high DC 20 investigation check. So every so everyone's like, oh, hey, look at that beautiful woman, except the rogue. Wait a minute. Wait a Something's minute. Something's not right here. <laughs> yeah. Finally, if the tide goes against her or she wants to get the drop on a party, she can turn invisible until she attacks, casts a spell, or loses concentration. Note, there is no, like, or ten minutes. Yeah. It is just until she attacks, casts a spell, or loses concentration. Do you think that's something they forgot, or is that no, intentional? No, that's, that's intentional. It allows her to stalk the party. Right. Yeah. Um, and as a, it further enforces it because as a bonus part, bonus feature of this action... She leaves no trail or evidence as uh, of her passing while she's invisible in this way. And that to me means there's also no waves in the water when she descends. That is why it's perfect for her to just disappear into water and then you go and you look. You're like, okay, she's not there's there. Nothing. But she's like swimming away. Right. Oh, but she could disappear into a full cauldron. Yeah. You go peer in. And she's not there anymore. Yeah. And you can say that as a DM. And if, unless the players are stabbing the water, which... The 50-50 with most They players. just might do that. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, like, they could very likely just hide in plain sight with this. Yeah. Now, there is a notable green hag to talk about from the lore, and that is Nanny Poopoo. Uh, and she is from the... Tomb of Annihilation. Tomb of Annihilation. She plays like a typical green hag, but doesn't necessarily hunt down the party. She plays more a role of quest giver? Sort of. Her main goal is to clear out a local a nest of large-sized pterodactyl men that have been causing her issues. However, after you do that, she wants to eat you. Being a worshipper of Miracle, Lord of Bones, and one of the dead three, she can also raise one of your dead party members into a zombie-like character. Considering the plot of Tomb of Annihilation being that resurrection magic has stopped working, this is a massive boon to the party. But, like a green hag, nothing is free. She may ask your party to clear out and bring pieces of the forces in Camp Vengeance to her, or some scales off the back of a nearby naga. Both will almost certainly be used for nefarious purposes. What goes into this little bit of weird magic that raises the dead? Well, the ritual of stolen life, as it's called, requires your dead friend, a gem worth 100 gold, an hour of time, and another humanoid sacrifice. A goblin, a grung, 
that like one of your party members, it doesn't really matter as long as it is an intelligent humanoid, probably because of the soul. She sacrifices this humanoid, traps its spirit in the gem, and implants that in the head of your fallen friends, right in the middle of their forehead. With a little prayer to Miracle, the spirit battery lodged in the head of the still very dead but at least ambulatory friend acts as a soul and your friend comes back. There are some changes though. Firstly, and most obvious, they're undead. The benefits, the not needing to eat, drink, sleep, or breathe, and the negatives to that, goodbye healing magic, still apply. Also, your max HP drains 1d4 per day at dawn. No spell can slow this effect. Finally, when the HP max hits zero on this creature, the gem shatters and your friend dies again. Fortunately though, this doesn't prevent your character from being resurrected later like most undead stuff would. Um, when you finally figure out how to cast resurrection magic again, um, and that character is raised, they have no memory of their time as an undead, but still retain the XP and levels that they gained while being undead. I mean, we're not monsters. Here's how you slow it down. Time stop. You're only slowing it down by a number of rounds, but that's technically a, time stop. That's a ninth level spell. Well, you don't get there in Tomb of Annihilation. Maybe you don't. <laughs> so, guys, I, I want to roll for initiative now, and I want to ask a couple questions of us, okay? Let's roll. I got a three. Five. You went further than five, I so I rolled a nat one. That's not good. <laughs> That's awful. All right, what are the questions? Then? Okay, uh, Brad, using a green hag, can you give any sort of insights into any environmental or social encounter opportunities? Yeah, about a thousand. Now let's <laughs> go into it. Um, I'm just going to take a simple one from folklore because lots of people have seen this, and I think they would like to play with it. I would like to do the witch from Hansel and Gretel, right? Okay. She's building almost like something enticing for children, a candy shop out in the woods or a house made of candy. Quite literally, right? Illusory magic. She's going to surround herself. Illusory to magic, make... nothing. She yep. builds a house Oh, she candy. would. But then herself, right? She would make herself look like a nice old lady. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right? For Come sure. on in, kids. I've got some nice baked goods, some candy for you. And then, can boom, I, can they I turn into Can look beautiful? Because no. Because every, everything that I saw. Beautiful is not the right word. Uh, so, so they get this illusory shroud, which is yes. where they take their form and change it into whatever, whatever they, they want. want. They generally as wouldn't choose, they... with their hatred of all things beautiful, though, they're not going to choose. They yeah. might choose a nice old lady. I don't know that they would choose a beautiful no, young dad. No, no. They, they have to be the same level of ugly. That's like right I, in the lore. I don't know. It's not. They can be. It, they, is, it is for night hags. It is for night hags, There's but it's certain not for hags green hags. Okay. It's don't. not for green hags. Uh, night hags, green hags don't hate beauty to the same extent that a night hag does. So a green hag could look beautiful if they want to, and we do see examples of beautiful, alluring green hags in D&D. Okay. Okay. Um, but I would say that with this Hansel and Gretel character... Yeah. I It'd mean, just be a kindly old lady. You want it to be, like... You're not having a S sexy old lady sitting there and, like, no. No, like, this is no. not a G-Milf. No, no. No, no. This, this, is, this is just a, like... Yeah, she's it's somebody's grandma. grandma. It's yeah. somebody's grandma. Nana, Nana wants to, you to come over and have some cookies. With a very sweet voice. I can see you're lost in the woods. Let me get you some food and then we'll find your family. Come warm up and in, then, I mean, by the oven. Yeah. Yeah. And then boom, she's probably going to eat one of them to make another hag. And then the other one is just going to be lunch. <laughs> um, for me, I really like uh, the fact that green hags are one of the only types of hags that will actually leave their lair and actually hunt to a certain extent as well. They will go out and try to find um, 
try to find prey as they walk along the road and engineer situations for a deal. So I see a green hag uh, engineering a, a plague or a poison that affects the party. And then she just sits on the side of the road two days later as the party's carrying their like foaming at the mouth wizard and goes, oh yeah, I've got, a, I've got a I can fix that. I can help you. If it's an elixir or an antidote, sure. But if they're going to put curses on, it is worth it to note that the standard hag does not get remove curse. Even covens can bestow curse, but can't remove it. Yeah. No, I mean, you have a paladin, so who gives a fuck? But, like, that's still an issue. And I have bitched in the past. We did an episode. It's one of our um, conditions episodes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where we talked about curses and how to bump them up and what's wrong with the way that curses work in D&D. Uh, and we'll go into it probably in a future hag episode because seriously, sure. fuck, you need a curse with a hag, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a thing. But all the curses I suck and are easy to fix. I do kind of like the idea, though, that even the hag has no intention of ever fixing a curse so she doesn't have a way to remove it. Yeah, but that's that's antithetical from the idea that they want to make a bargain. Yeah. Right? I want them to bestow a curse and say, but, come on back. But they don't do plan it. on ever fulfilling their end of the bargain. Yeah, well, I, well actually, this is, that's actually a good point. Because do they want... Is that antithetical to their bargains? Because their bargain isn't, I'm going to curse you, yeah. and now I will remove that curse. That's not their bargain. No, no, no. Their no. bargain is, here's the shit that I have engineered in your life that's going wrong, and I will give you a, a solution to it that will eventually decay as well. They're not removing the curse from you. They're just removing the current circumstances from you. Nah, you're looking at you're looking at it differently. Thinner. Okay, uh, yeah, that's fine. where I'm coming from. I, right. I, but. I I see I see someone with the capabilities of a thinner level curse. Maybe not necessarily being a hag, but I would definitely no. They're not necessarily hag, but hags will do that because that I'm, that is my point here. A hag will 100. percent Say, you know what? I'm just going to curse anybody that walks 13 steps down this part of the road. Right? I'm just going to do that. If you walk 13 steps in this area from this tree to that tree, then you will get a curse. And then you will know through your dreams that you are cursed and you need to come to this kindly old grandmother to get rid of it because that's how I get my bargain. I will get rid of it for you, but you got to do shit for me first. And that's how they entice some people. The, the bestowing of the curse is the hook. It's the sales pitch. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sold, but I... I, I... She's not going to walk around and poison every single well with a potion. She's not going to do that. She will say, magic, rah, all the wells are poisoned. <laughs> right? So well, you do that by bestowing curse. When you, when you get these weird magic items that they can make where they are these spell effects that don't necessarily have to be on their spell known, by the way. Yep. They're just spell effects that are consumable things on items that you could really flavor fun and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see. It's also worth pointing out that a lot of their spells are based on exactly a thing that you said in a different way. Consumable items. You usually have to eat or drink it in order to get the effects of it. Yeah. That is a constant theme, both in folklore and in, in D&D. Cool. Yeah, I mean, poisons and diseases, right, are often generally passed through some sort of transmission. They're also yeah. generally passed over by the rules in Dungeons & Dragons 5e. Uh, that's a Brad, separate episode. That's a separate We've been episode. through those. Uh, battle, what do you got? Battle. Hags are going to use whatever minions they have at their disposal first. Because okay. they're going to let whatever it is. So, 
I Especially mean, green eggs. Yeah. So tree blights, giant frogs, things like that are probably going to be in their arsenal. They're going to backline fight. If you get up in their face, they're going to slash you. And they're going to make use of that invisibility. They're going to... As soon as you're in their face and posing a threat, I'm out of here. Disappear. You actually mentioned tree blights. And for me, green eggs being the wicked witch in the woods, I'm playing on the nature aspect of them. And I want them to use tree blights, uh, twisted and awakened plant life, um, things like that in their combat. They're using flora and fauna around them more than they're going to be, you know, having an oni around them. Yeah, sure. Like... They're going to have definitely like that level of stuff that they're going to throw at the party. And the wildlife in the region. Yeah. And always, always, always ambush tactics. Oh, yes. A hag will never be the one who is at disadvantage in a fight if she started it. Yeah. They don't. Oh, if she started it. And she's never going to want to put herself in a position where she can just be jumped. Yeah, exactly. Just a quick sidebar. When it comes to the Oni and stuff, what I realized just now is that the Oni are allies because they owe her from a previous deal. Okay. Yeah, that would 100% yeah. That's sense. the only reason I can come up with why an Oni is going to be like, well, sure, okay, all right, yeah, I will be your grunt. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, 100%. And and they, they go out of their way to make deals with more powerful creatures just so that they could have leverage on somebody. Yeah. That could totally take them in a fight. Um, honestly, for me, the thing that I'm going to think of most about with the Hag is the fact that they are cravenly, cravenly bitches. They are absolutely never, ever, ever going to be a part of a fight to the death. Oh, no. No. And one of the ways that they're going to escape is um, through this mimicry. They can use it. Um, oh, it doesn't even say as an action. So they can just fucking do it. So you get the jump on me as a hag and I'm sitting here in my hut. There's a closet over there and you came to rescue children. I'm going to make sounds of screaming children come from the closet while I turn invisible and run away. I'm going to drag you with a carrot into another part of the encounter where I can get away, chill out, hunker down, come up with re- a re-roll B. some hit dice, yeah. Yeah. and then wait until night where I can sit on your chest. Cool. Um, what about one, uh, give me a plot hook for a side quest, a sh- one shot or something, main story arc with a green hag, Brad. I've really been enticed by the thought of this 13th birthday, somebody turning into a hag. So you come into a town and just days ago, this family witnessed their daughter transform and head off into the woods Yeah, and they want to know what happened. This thing that they thought was their daughter anyways, right? Cause yeah. yeah Cause like, it's also like. They grew up with it. The, they might not know that a hag yeah. had dealt it, with it, right? It could even just be a baby swap, right? Like I'm picture. That's what I'm picturing as that's horrific. Rough. Oh yeah, as a parent, that to me is horrific. But yeah, that's what I'm picturing is there was a baby swap. These people raised this child, thinking it was the one that they legitimately had for 13 years, and boom, now it's disappeared into the woods. And they want to know who took it and who caused this curse, and can it be undone? Can they get their baby back? Could you imagine like that one? Uh, that one family that has their baby has some sort of deformity or some sort of uh, um, malady, health issues. some sort of health issue. They and need to deal the, with the head. The kind old woman in the woods will take care of it. Just give me a week and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. Kind old woman comes back with the baby a week later. Healed. Beautiful. Perfect. Never And delicious. And, and, and tastes great with butter. Um, for me, I want to do a reverse hag. Um, and we Gah. see this... We see that no, uh, we see this in uh, Beauty and the Beast, oddly enough, where there's an ugly woman that comes to the door, mm. gets denied, and then becomes this beautiful woman that then bestows a curse. 
I want to do something like that with hags, where the hag shows up in the town in her base form to, like, test the village. The village, like, throws her out, causes some sort of uh, hassle, and then she becomes the beautiful maiden to kind of pull a reversal on them. And now that entire village feels bad about how they treat it and will rain presents and stuff on her while she's just subtly ruining their lives day in day out she gave her true form first and then flipped it rather than Mm. using her uh flip as the gate in right okay my plot hook so you know how when your party takes a captive that captive's not even days are numbered but like rounds are numbered we will interrogate until this becomes annoying and then someone's going to slit a throat yeah because everyone's a murder hobo right yeah you know who they don't do that to quest givers people that come to them that knock on their door that say hey can i get some help even if it's clearly a demon right they will hear them out because this is a plot point and not a random npc we decided (laughs) not to kill yeah so they will meta their way into dealing with the hag just by listening to them and you're I, evil. <laughs> absolutely. I, I did this you to are you a multiple times so, <laughs> last week. Yeah. So one of the things that I would absolutely do as a plot hook is have a hag come forward. When you know your big twist at the end of your campaign is that the bad guy is actually a good guy that has been corrupted or that has uh, is being tempted by the Shadowfell or someone has got some sort of leverage on them and whatnot... And the hag wants that good guy out of the picture. I'll help. I'll help the party remove this guy. They don't know that this is a good guy yet. Mm-hmm. The hag is playing for the power vacuum. She wants the party to say, hey, you know what? Hey, guys, I know where you can get a unicorn horn. And I'm legitimate. I am straight up about this. There's no tricks. You can go get a unicorn horn. Go over there and get it. But she may not want to interact with the party at all. She just wants that unicorn to lose a freaking horn. Yeah. Or she may just want your party to leave. And then when they come back, the the inn has burned to the ground and all their favorite NPCs are dead. What happened? Guys, a hag came to town last week. You didn't hear? <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Damn. Oops. <laughs> yeah. My bad. So, so I'm 100% coming to the party with clear role playing and an escape plan. And a couple of bouncers that are hiding around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Right? I need goons. Where the goons? And I'm going to say, hey, you know what? Here's my plan. And if they don't follow through on the plan or they try to fuck it up, I will retreat. Yeah. Hey, everyone. It's Dan. No, you're not going to. Okay. Well, you yell at me every commercial. I'm not well, that's because you're a dick every single commercial. I want to let everybody know about Legend Lore. It is a show we've been doing now for a little while where we get to open up new books. Adam, I'm talking about books. This should make you happy. We get to Dan, op- I live in the digital age. I don't know what you're talking about. Bullshit. You're the one yelling at me for bringing my phone to a D&D session. Anyways, when Wizards releases a new book, we are there to open it up and to go over it for you guys and give our insights into the design process as well as the contents of these books. Most importantly, do you guys want to buy them? And if you do, should you? And that's the other reason that we do these episodes. Yeah. So, so check the feed. You can check out those episodes there. We are covering any new release as soon as it gets there, as well as covering some of the backlog as we get to them. 
Honestly, it's whatever we are currently researching that we start to get passionate about, like the Ravnica and the Acquisitions Incorporated books. And the Fae book. Which you guys may not necessarily have picked up, but like when we were flipping through it, it was freaking awesome. So we wanted to share it with you guys. Check out Legend Lore. It is a little side project that we're working on when we get to it, and it's based on Wizards of the Coast release schedules. But we hope you guys like it. You'll also get to hear Dan talk about how much he absolutely hates Sword Coast Adventures Guide Ugh. in just about every episode. So Brad, what do we got for Sea Hags? All right, I'm excited about Sea Hags. We talked about with green hags and just hags in general, their ugliness. Sea Hags are considered to be the ugliest of ugly. They have the greatest hatred and abhorrence for beauty and they absolutely despise anything beautiful. They will kill it, they will mar it, they will do whatever they can and they love nothing more than seeing the beautiful be fouled. Cool. So that's who sea hags are. When we look at sea hags, if you're going to come across one, they look like a starved corpse should you come across them in there, right? I think green hags would picture maybe somebody, I don't know. When I picture hags, I picture a little more stocky. I mean, it's that grandmother thing, right? As you age your grandfather, you're going to put on weight. That's well, just kind of... There, there's always something off or diseased with a green hag. Yes. They've got that pale green skin. They've got that hunched form and bent form. Uh, they're really suffering from osteoporosis. Like you get that form still, but I picture them a little bit heftier. It's specifically with sea hags, they are not. They are thin. They look malnourished and deprived with like this gray pallid skin on mm. them. On that skin, they have scales. Again, sea, fish, that's where that's coming from. And their hair looks like it's seaweed. Actually, no, sorry, it does not look like it's seaweed. It is seaweed, according okay. to 5th edition lore. Their eyes are lifeless. They look almost like glass marbles, glass balls. They're cloudy. They You can't look into the eyes of a sea hag, effectively, because you're not going to see much. They're dead and lifeless. Oh, you'll see something, but you'll, we'll get to that not, later. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. And they are cursed to being the others to hags. We talked about using the illusory appearance to look beautiful. Sea hags cannot and will not do that. At best, they will look haggard and worn down. Yeah. Also, At they're the only best. topless hag in the monster manual. Yay. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the seaweed covers a lot. So I talked about how they really hate beauty. They abhor it. They take great pride in their ugliness, and they're always seeking to destroy and warp beautiful things into their own ugly image. While hags are generally ugly, deformed creatures, sea hags take it to another level. Their lairs are generally depressing places full of trash and pollutants. They tend to be fairly solitary, but you will find marrows in their lair and surrounding areas. Should you notice dangerous tides, a slimy film on items in the water, or a lot of fish corpses, you may find yourself near a powerful sea hag. Sea hags have a CR 2 or 4 in a coven, so a little bit weaker than the green hag. Cool, yep. Their primary stats are strength and con, but they don't have less than a plus one modifier in any stat. So across the board, they've got a decent stat block, but specifically strength and con are their big ones. They have an AC of 14 and a hit pool of 78 plus 21 hit points. Which for a CR2. That's a lot of hit points uh -huh. for your party to come through. Yeah, they're right? hardy. 21 is kind of where you would expect the plus. Never mind the 78 <laughs> on top of that. Obviously, being underwater creatures, they have dark vision of up to 60 feet, and they have a swim speed of 40 feet. You talked about not having with the green hags. This is where you get the swim speed. Makes yeah. a lot more sense to me for the sea hag. Absolutely. Uh, their standard move is 30 feet, so they're faster in the water than out. Again, sea hag. Again, makes that makes sense. sense. That makes 100%. Yeah. On brand. If you're fighting these guys in the middle of a desert, you're wrong. Yes. <laughs> well, the DM is wrong. <laughs> yeah, the DM is wrong. Yeah. Or you're the party did something really, really right. 
I have a funny story afterwards, but you can tell Okay, me. let's get to that. I'm looking forward to it. So, they speak common, aquan, and giant, and obviously are amphibious. Yes, yeah. They, due to the hideous nature of their appearance, any humanoid within 30 feet of a sea hag must make, and can see them, must make a wisdom saving throw of a DC 11 or be frightened for a minute. Oh, shit. Okay. So, frightened, in case you don't remember what it means or you've forgotten, um, means you have disadvantage on any check or attack while you are within line of sight of the hag, and you uh, cannot move any closer to the creature that frightens yeah, you. you. Can't so, in this move case, the hag. Closer to it, yeah. So, you can move, you just can't move closer. Effectively, you are so horrified by the sight of this hag that it takes you a minute to collect yourself. You can roll to save every turn, but you have disadvantage unless you can manage to break line of sight with the hag. Okay. If you know the hag is there, you can avert your gaze. But, of course, if you try to attack it, again, you're going to have disadvantage on your attacks. So if you're dealing with a social encounter and you don't want to take the disadvantage on all of your social checks, you can just avert your eyes if you know that it's there. That said, generally, they're going to try and get the surprise on you and use their hideousness to their advantage. Should you be frightened of the sea hag, she has an attack she can make called a death glare. This attack is brutal and can drop you unconscious instantly. Again, you must make a wisdom saving throw with a DC of 11. And should you fail, you immediately drop to zero (laughs) hit points. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is about a one third chance. Yes. Even in tier two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a good... Somebody's going to drop to zero hit points in the party. I just, almost I, certainly. I just see the barbarian going, this is bullshit. <laughs> and, and the DM going, yep. I, have, <laughs> I have a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> Should you manage to not be frightened and she, you end up within melee range of her, she will attack with her claws with a plus five to the attack and 2d6 plus three damage. Again, that is a significant claw attack. Like all other hags, she casts the illusory experience, but as I mentioned before, she will still appear haggard at best. I get it. Haggard. Uh-huh. Roll. Okay, so let's do the same roll for initiative, and let's talk about some tactics with these guys. All right. I got a four. A ten. I, I got a four. Roll off, Dan. I got a seven. I got a more than that. Yeah. All right, I'm going first. So, first question, Dan. Go for it. Uh, environmental or social encounters with a sea hag. Um, so in this case, I really want to lean into the environmental factor. I mentioned earlier the oily, scummy film on all sorts of things, the dead fish, mm-hmm. just the noxious smell within the water, right? If your party is just adventuring, they don't know a sea hag is in the area. I really like to picture them coming in and it just getting worse and worse and worse. And they don't know what's causing it. They probably don't, might not even know it's a sea hag. They're picturing... You know, there's poison in the water. Somebody's done something. Well, and any D&D player that has played for a while is going to say, oh, there's scum and shit here. There's an abolith nearby. Yes, yeah. exactly. So there's other things that they're going to think of. And then all of a sudden, boom, they find themselves within the lair of the hag. Also, I'm going to put a lot of marrows in the area. Which... Marrows are, I'd be cautious. Oh, they're powerful. They're powerful. They so are powerful. If you are CR2 going for a, or like a level two party going to a sea hag, mm-hmm. marrows will outclass you. Oh, they 100% will. But that said, I pictured the Marrows kind of under the command of the Sea Hag. Again, we talked about creatures owing her. Yeah, but remember, it's not mind-controlled. No, it's not mind-controlled. But that said, if if they're there to just... If she knows that there's somebody in the area, she could give them the command and say, look, I want these guys to come in. I want to make a deal with them. Oh, so you send them as, as the, emissaries, not they're, as... They're kind of just the guards in the area. And the party's going to be really confused as to why these Marrows aren't attacking on site. Or should they attack, rather than try to kill the party, the Marrows themselves are going to try and 
capture the party and bring them to the hag. That's kind of what I would like more from the Marrows, because your party is going to be outclassed by these Marrows. And they're either going to know that and try to avoid them, or they're going to be stupid, attack, and get their asses handed to them. And now they're being chauffeured into the presence of the sea hag. Yeah. So, okay, when it comes to social encounters for me, look, environmental encounter, I, cl- clearly, like it's all laid out there for you. Yeah. Um, you're probably looking for the wreckage of a ship or yeah. Yeah, a cave or a coral reef, something like that. But if you are running a pirate campaign, use these. Yeah. However, meaningful glance towards Brad, who is in my pirate campaign. So the thing for me for social encounters for these guys is remember they're smart. Yes. Right. So if they're going to send an emissary or they're going to parlay with the with the party... They are absolutely not going to face off against the whole party in a limited space. Yeah. Yeah. They want you in their lair, mm-hmm. but one or two of you. CR2 is only good against a four-person party. So separate, divide, and conquer. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you right now who you don't send. You don't send a Triton. You don't send a Sea Elf. You don't send a Lokatha. That right there means that the Sea Hag is having sushi for dinner. And you don't send a Bard. Because what do they hate more than anything else? Beauty, Beauty. and charm and lovely things. So nice you're thing. half-elf, you're bard off the table. Which means, ladies and gentlemen, you are sending in a warlock and a barbarian to go in and negotiate. Probably an orc and a goliath as well. Right? Like, you are, you want to send the appropriate people to deal with this? Just a shaved dwarf. <laughs> oh. That's just not nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to the dwarf or anyone else. So, sorry, Regdor, we have to do this. We're about to talk to the sea hag. No. No. <laughs> um for me, I actually would send the bard or have a social encounter with the bard. And it is purely the sea hag wanting to see things corrupted and her as a social encounter. This isn't combat, this is just as a social encounter, wanting someone to make the most horrid song ever and to play it in front of the king or the queen or whoever right right i'm going to say this though these guys while their intelligence and wisdom are plus one they also get away with it and they've got some nasty attacks i think they would just kill beauty on sight i i i yes then so, disguise your bard and then send so them in the and be talented like, bard with the like your, your stand-up comedian level of talented bard where like, they ain't no such thing as a pretty stand-up comedian, right? There's a reason they're a stand-up comedian, and it ain't the looks, right? So so when you get up there, it's like, hey, I can see both of you are like, okay, hold on. I, no, I, I, I've, I've got, got a couple. Name one, but, I've got a couple. <laughs> but so so when you send in the bard, I, I'm not sending in a half-elf. I'm not sending in an elf. They will get fucking slaughtered. Yeah. I'm going to send in the portly human chef to go do it. To be honest, I'm using night hags more in a horror. See, I'm using sea hags more in a um, horror being stalked on the shores of a river level of monster. I'm not seeing a lot of environmental or social encounters with them that aren't directly involved with sunken ships or reefs or underwater caves or whatnot, right? Like these guys are hunting your party more than anything else. And that's the way I would use them. What about battle tactics? What do we got? Battle tactics. Again, they're going to... We talked about the marrow in the region. That's their biggest strength, right? Again, their CR is low. Unless you're coming across them early, your party's going to mount the floor with them. So they're going to surround themselves with more powerful creatures. Yeah. Um, again, they're going to make use 
there isn't something in the stat block, but I would want to give them some way of obfuscating the waters, right? We talked about the murkiness, the sliminess, just the nastiness of it. Um, and the other thing too is when they're feeling endangered, use that swim speed. They're going to have it. They're going to be using it to get away. I legitimately do not believe that you will ever find a night hag just out and about. Or a sea hag. <laughs> I legitimately believe that you will never find a sea hag just out and about. Come to my lair on my turf. Because when I drop you to zero hit points, you are auto-failing death saves. Yeah. Because you are face down in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Right? The environment here is key. It's bad enough to have marrow be the brutes. This is why I like, I resist that. Because the marrows will fuck up your party. Yeah. Because if you're fighting marrow, you're on the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? I would use maybe chul or something else like to deliver a message sure. that's handwritten because they can get on land and if a combat busts out you're not gonna kill the party accidentally yeah right this is an accidental tpk waiting to happen let me tell you a funny story i had way back when a demon keep that went so poorly for so many reasons but one of the Grand highlights for me, uh, the things that went well, was when I had a room of sea hags. They went in and they had cast um, Detect Evil and Good, right? And I'm like, yeah, no, th there's fae in here. There's, it's not a, it's not demons. I'm like, oh, good, fae. And then they got ambushed by a demon outside. So the fighter, the ranger, the monk, and the barbarian were fighting a high-powered demon. Remember, their level... 11 at this point and so the barbarian turned around ran into the room to get fey help and ran into a coven of sea hags <laughs> which means you're making that death glare save and you only have to roll an 11 but you're making it three, three times, times every round when you succeed on the save you are no longer it's not like you are immune for the next day or week or until the next long rest it's not immune till dawn the next time you're just you gotta do it again next turn and you gotta do it Round after round after round. That's what makes these guys powerful. And the fact that it's in water. So how did I put three sea hags in a keep? Well, they got summoned because there was a demon from a previous edition that I used. So my my tactic on this was I had a giant soaker tub in the middle of a bathroom that the barbarian is running into to go get the help. He runs in and doesn't see the Fae, and so he calls out to them. On their turn, they stand up. On his turn, he now starts in uh, his turn in the room with them. He's got to make these, these saves, and he fails one of them. Now he's frightened. But he's freaking out because they've closed the door behind him. I asked him to step out of the room so I could run this separately, and then he failed one of the three saves and dropped. The door unlocked, and on the next round, the fighter came in. <laughs> one at Rinse a time and repeat that dropped the fighter and the ranger who didn't bother to pump into wisdom and the monk came in and had to solo three night hags with this or three sea hags with disadvantage because she won't look them square in the eye after the first turn hmm. and i nearly had a level 11 tpk with a, with a cr4 coven of sea hags yeah, these guys are freaking deadly and yeah. that was not in water were you using the coven spell abilities and everything as well didn't need to jeez that death glare is i think not properly represented in the challenge rating especially when it comes to a coven the thing is it's it's dc 11 yes right it is a low dc but so and you have to make 
two saves. You have to start your turn there so you know that the Sea Hag is there. Yeah. Right? And you have the ability to run the fuck away, which you would do if frightened. Sure. Right? Give them uh, one of the weird magic charms. Yep. A stick of incense that they burn that causes you to have a higher DC cause fear effect. Yeah, sure. Like, it doesn't take much. And you want to take much. Per, per hag, you're fine. Or just... <laughs> Oh, hey, you know what? You uh, it's it's a small charm, so it's gonna work on most of the players there, and they will just have disadvantage on wisdom saves. Mm-hmm. There you go. Sure. Any number of ways, really, to because yeah. that fucks them on both saves. But it's DC eleven twice. The reason they're CR two is because you should, in theory, not fail DC eleven wisdom saves twice. twice. Yeah, and at least someone in the party should have high enough wisdom that that's not really ever an issue. Your cleric, your druid. Maybe your ranger, but definitely your monk will be able to pass this. Yeah, as Dan has attested to our last session, sometimes the dice just screw you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, finally, guys, let's let's talk about some plot hooks for these guys. What do we got? Um, so I'm picturing again. This is a region. I'm going simple with this one. I'm going with the fact that people have been disappearing. I'm going with a Bermuda Triangle sort of thing, just much cool. smaller. Where people keep going into this area of the ocean to try and recover this lost ship. And every single time, they just disappear and never return. Um, uh, Adam? I'm not even making people disappear. All the beautiful girls, one by one, are losing their singing voice. Hmm. Uh, okay, so we're going Ariel and Ursula. Absolutely, yes. I will. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's all the plot hook I need. Where when they walk in and like there's just it, there's a town full of quiet, sad, beautiful women. Uh, for me, I was going to be like, Sea Hag moves into the town's well. Mm. A coastal town. Uh, no, no, no. They just make their way to the well All right. through underground tributaries and whatnot and use that to slowly corrupt the town around them, waiting for people to come into the well to see what's going on because ultimately... You're not talking a little well on the side of a farm. You're talking about a town. I'm talking like the central town, like the central town it, well. Into the, into the sewers almost. Yeah. With cistern. Yes. Kind of, yeah. Now I just love the idea of one hanging out in a water tower and just like casting <laughs> spells down on the street. <laughs> so if you have any interesting ideas about hags and how you would use them, specifically sea hags, because I'm always up for some aquatic kerfuckery, you can send us a message at info at itsamimic.com. We also accept uh, mailbag questions if you've got any further questions about how we would use hags in our campaigns uh, and of course you can go check us out on instagram facebook and at r slash it's a mimic on reddit where each one of those has an inbox or of course reddit has the, the ability to post and we will directly interact somewhat more rapidly than a three month wait for the next mailbag <laughs> speaking of waiting too long i've been entirely too silent so it is now my turn yeah <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Adam gets to talk about furries. No, furies. Oh, sorry, I misread sea that. furies. Oh, so, I'm now disinterested. Yeah, well, we'll leave him to his own devices here. So, sometimes, sea hags break the rule of three in a coven in order to handle large-scale threats. A kraken, a leviathan moves in. They will get way more than three. I suggest eight, because when you deal with fae, it's all threes and eights. Mm -hmm. Or 13, because... We already see that thematically with the 13-year-olds. But with that much evil in one place, the hags will eventually turn on each other and start infighting. The one who wins, aka the strongest, will often siphon off the powers of the others and become a more powerful entity called a Sea Fury. They come from the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, 
So we can thank Matt Mercer for this fucking nightmare. And are so much worse than a regular hag. Claimed by madness, seduced by treasure, and desperate for company. Hmm. Sea hags lure sailors and explorers into their home turf and then capture them. But when this new companionship becomes boring or unstimulating, the Sea Fury will dispose of them and find someone new to play with. Yucky. At CR12, they're a major problem. They have all the same stuff that a Sea Hag has, like, you know, medium-sized chaotic evil, same languages, amphibious trait, and the claws and death glare actions, although the claws are now multi-attack. But now, they have double the hit points, double the range on dark vision, and a swim speed of 50 feet per round. Their strength, dex, and charisma all got impressive bumps, and deception, insight, perception, and stealth all get power boosts that the Sea Hag didn't get. But it's so much worse than that. CR 12 with 105 hit points doesn't seem like too much, but they're immune to cold, fire, and poison, and bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks, as well as the paralyzed and poisoned conditions, but they also have magic resistance, which gives them the advantage on saving throws and magical effects, as well as legendary resistances three times a day, which lets them just succeed on saving throws. Cool. Now, they did lose two things that the Sea Hag has. They no longer get that annoying, horrific appearance trait or the illusory appearance. Their attack actions have increased in numerical value, so they'll hit more often and harder. And the Death Glare now has a DC of 16 and no longer requires you to be afraid. And it's the innate spellcasting that ups their game even further. Shit. Jeez. Witch Bolt at will and bestow curse, fear, and thunder wave. Once per day. I'm sorry, which bolt will at will? will? Yes. Yep. Uh, CR 12 makes sense. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. But cool. if that isn't enough, they get legendary actions too. For one action, they can turn themselves and anything they're wearing or carrying into seawater and move around without provoking opportunity attacks. Grappling and restraining doesn't help either, so they're going to be hard to nail down. The good news is that they revert to their true form at the end of this movement. Now, it doesn't say this anywhere in the stat block, but it's a clear inconsistency with other water creatures in 5th edition. If the Sea Hag is in water form, they should, by 5th ed rules, be resistant to acid damage. I'm just saying. like I can't... No one's going to get a turn in the middle of their legendary action to cast a spell unless they're holding an action. Mm -hmm. But even then, are they using Acid Splash or Melf's Acid Arrow? Like, they're probably not holding that against a CR12 creature. So it's rarely going to come up, but, I mean, rare use case. Keep that in mind. For two legendary actions, they get Fearsome Apparition. This replaces the horrific appearance trait of the Sea Hag, because with this one, the Fury conjures a vision of one of their dead sisters within 30 feet that the Sea Fury can see. (laughs) Any enemy that can see the apparition has to make a DC 16 wisdom saving throw or become frightened until it vanishes at the end of the Fury's next turn. Cool. And the last legendary action costs three, and it's called Conjure Snakes, which is a misnomer, because the Fury doesn't conjure snakes, it pukes a swarm of poisonous snakes that it can control, and it can control three swarms at a time. Does it puke three swarms at a time? Nope, one at a time. (laughs) So, snakes. Snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? (laughs) Still not cool enough yet? Then let's head into the watery lair where the Sea Fury raises to a CR 14 and gets lair actions. One of the actions can be that caverns and tunnels and pools of water 120 feet 
from the Sea Fury become murky or foggy, making it heavily obscured. Or it can conjure a 15-foot cube of water that fills an unoccupied space and then rushes 60 feet in any direction. And if a creature comes in contact with the water, they have to make a DC 16 strength save or be knocked prone and pushed 15 feet. Cool. Remember, in any direction. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to the direction of up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Terry's not here, though. No, but that is going to do a D6 damage and keep them prone when they fall, right? Yeah. yeah. And then my favorite layer action is when they conjure the spirit of a dead sailor that they've murdered. And this uh, lasts until another layer action is used. So if they choose not to do another one, it could last technically indefinitely. The spirit uses the stats of a specter and obeys the sea fury. So, you know, yay, draining maximum hit points in the middle of this battle. Holy shit. So, you should clearly run from these things if they're in their layers, but then you get to the regional effects. For the first mile outside the layer, seagrass weakly grasps at any creature it can. Now, it can't actually affect you, and there's no mechanics for this, but it grabs and strokes your feet and ankles. So. That's enough. Yeah. That's yeah. enough. Also, any crabs and octopi within that mile become the giant version of themselves and act as her spies and henchmen. <laughs> a hag moves in and some kid's playing with a crab at it, that moment on the beach and just... Whoop, whoop, whoop. Just like it ate a freaking mushroom in <laughs> yeah. Mario. Yeah. So now it's the size of a dog and it's angry and the kid's just like, ah, and runs away. And the last regional effect is for the five miles around the lair, all the seawater becomes choppy and rough even if there's no wind. Hmm. I bring this up because when you are fighting a sea fury on land, there's not much land for that to happen with. You are clearly on the edge of a ship or standing on some tall coral. Like There's not a whole lot of you standing still, and she's going to beat you with that lair action over and over and over again to push you, so now you are swimming in choppy water. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's grab the dice and let's roll for the sea furies. I got a four again. Twelve. Thirteen. This is my episode. This is your apparently. episode. Brad, environmental or social encounters with a sea fury. What do you got? All right. Uh, it was the last little bit there with the choppy water and the seas being rough, even if there's no wind. That's my environmental drag in that no one can figure out why. Right? You're going to have some people's speculations. No one's maybe seen this sea fury. But for some reason, in this area, the waters are always choppy. Always, there's always a storm. It has never relented. I don't mind the idea of a current pulling yep. ships. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, or at least pushing them around if they enter the seas. Make right. make it a bit of like a whirlpool kind of thing, where like ships have to fight to get away from. Yeah, absolutely, this, and they can but... if they're well piloted. But a few ships have been lost, and there's just reports, right? And so you guys, as the party, get to go investigate. Yeah. So one of the things that I find really interesting is the language. We didn't really get into this with the Green Hag, but the Green Hag got Draconic and Sylvan yeah. as well as Common. Sylvan makes sense. It's the mm -hmm. Fey language. Draconic was interesting. Yeah. I feel like they probably share a lot of the same areas as green. Black Dragons. Black Dragons, yeah. Or um, green, yeah. Then more, yeah. Specifically I more swampy with the black than the forest with the green. Uh, yeah. I it it depends on your flavor of folklore at yeah. the time. But... I really, really do feel like it's super interesting about the giant language that yes, Snags gets. Yes, that stood out to me as well. Right, the sea giants. No, I'm not going to give them storm giants. The reason that they have this 
is because this is clearly based on Scylla, who was the Greek from from um, mm. the Odyssey, mm-hmm. right? Who was the Greek terror that um, I, I forget how the quote goes. It's been so fucking long since I read the Odyssey, but it was like one of the gods. I'm not going to get this perfect, but one of the gods said, "It's better to lose six sailors and keep your ship than to lose all sailors." And or sorry, it's better to lose six sailors and keep your ship than to risk losing your entire ship and everyone. So sail close to where Scylla lives. And then they made a a big deal with one of the gods to keep her from only attacking once. Yeah. Right. Mm. So that was, that was a big deal. So the idea that we're dealing with Greek myth and whatnot as the inspiration for sea hags is why they're going to get that extra language, especially for giants. But you have to keep in mind too, that sea hags are, are not just storm giants. Storm giants are good. Yeah. Frost giants, however. Mm-hmm. And dropping a sea hag. See, here's my environmental thing. Dropping a sea hag in an Arctic scenario Son of a bitch. Mm. is so much happy fuckery that I am just very thrilled. Because now when you're in water, you are making freaking constitution saves. This is exactly what I was going to bring up is literally if you are playing an Icewind Dale, have a sea fury in there if you want a higher end stuff while you're going through uh, Reghead. We said refid. We're going to say refid in this. Yeah. Uh, the, the I think it's supposed to be ragged. Okay. Uh, if you are exploring the ragged glacier that's there, where you're walking through these tunnels in this massive glacier, a sea fury in that environment would be amazing. Right? And like... As long having, as they're not the players. Well... <laughs> you're right. Um, but add Netherese's magic on top of that, because spoilers for... Icewind Dale, there's a Netherese city underneath the ice, right? Like, having Netherese magic with a sea hag in a glacier, literally surrounded by um, the solid form of her element, just, it it leads to nightmares. And have these guys, like, pick and uh, tease your party. Lead them through tunnels, through the ice, and down chasms, and get them lost. Get them stuck, right? I would go a step further than that. O'Reel as a freaking combat encounter was weak as balls. Sure, three forms, so it's it's a drag to get through that combat. But if your guys have picked up a couple of magic items, you're kind of waltzing through it. And the third form is a wet fart in a breeze, right? Like, there's not a whole lot going on with O'Reel by combat standards. Having form two and a half be a sea fury will really drive the point home as you're fighting a god. And all you've got to do from there is just reflavor it so that that the death glare is through a crystalline eye yeah and the the waves are actually snow drifts moving and shit like that mm. and then then you're laughing right that's all you need to to do that reflavor well let's let's talk about the combat uh things for sea fury what do we got brad well there's there's a lot to unpack with the combat I mean, just the multi-attack, right? We kind of breezed past the fact that they're getting a multi-attack. Yeah, three of those claws. Yeah, that's a massive amount of slashing damage that can be dealt out. Yeah, because they went up to D8s instead of D6s now. Yeah, Yeah. so you're getting more damage and then three times. Like, that's that was the one that stood out to me as just a big... I think people will overlook it. With There is so much else going on. I'm never going to rely on a claw attack until I'm out of spells or backed into a corner. Absolutely, but if you uh, just, you know, sometimes you want to send a message. We talked about their hatred of all things beautiful, right? Right. Like if they want to really disfigure your face. We, we talked about the bard earlier, right? You weren't sending the bard to meet a sea hag. 
Right, your Sea Fury sees this bard and says, yeah, you know but, what, screw message. I just but mechanically, you're not scarring when you're hitting with, with the that, claw attack. That's a problem, right? We've yeah. talked about this in so, the past. Let's not get into it again. But, but Well, that's because hit points are not health points, yes, right? Yes, they're not. So it's, it's technically endurance and stamina. We flavor it as you're, getting, you're bleeding all over the place because it's more evocative. Yeah. But it's really just, like, healing magic is really just a, a magical pat on the back. You can do it. Have an energy drink. Yeah. Right, and that's technically how it's flavored. I don't like the claws. I just don't. No. I look the because I, mean, I don't need fear anymore, and it's a DC sixteen yeah. um, wisdom save. I'm just gonna hit with that because I can hit everybody that isn't averting their gaze. Also, if I'm a real, every single one of the walls and surfaces is reflective ice. Yes. yes. So <laughs> everything is easy. So yeah, but yeah, like, like, you got to close your eyes. So, but even then. I've got spells, mm-hmm. and my spells give me range. Now, which bolt, okay, zap, and then they move out of the distance of. Yeah. Right? So you're not really going to get them round after round after round. But you also get fear, so if you can back them into the corner and cast that first, they're not running around you, mm-hmm. and you can just stand still and witch bolt the shit out of them. Yep. yep. Right? And and even further beyond that, just layer actions, man. Like There's, there's so much unpacked with these sea fears. Yeah. I mean, anytime you have like a CR-14... There's so many options there, right? And it becomes a becomes a exercise in how can this creature not only use its abilities, but also use the environment to its benefit. And I don't think um, any creature will use water as well, except for maybe a Kraken or Leviathan. A, a Leviathan or Water Elemental, yeah. than a Sea Fury. This thing is there for um, naval-level combat, and ruining your pirate's ship. Yeah. Right? Like, that's what it is there for. That's what I'm going to use it to do. I've been playing a lot of Sea of Thieves recently. So I'm just imagining, like, one of these things, like, digging its way through the hole and just watching to see what happens when your party now has to bail the bottom of a galleon. Right? And just slowly watching your party descend into the depths and panic as it tears apart your ship piece by piece before you ever even see it. Right. You know, the thing that we've kind of skimmed past, too, is, look, we really like the sailor as a specter, like the dead sailor. Yeah. That's really cool. But she can also, as a legendary action, so that was the lair action. That was the lair. As a legendary action, for the next round, she can sit there and say, hey, you know what? Here's uh, the the visage of my dead sea hag sister, right? And if they fail that save... They they're then frightened, right? Yeah. Until the end of the next or like the next end of turn. her next turn. Yeah. So yeah. so hit them with the layer action. Hit them with the layer action of pushing them away with the water. Kick them out into the depths of the choppy seas, and then put this figure standing there looking down at them. Yeah. They can't get closer. Yeah. They're spending their turn swimming sitting here, down, swimming right, swimming down. Well, I mean, they Borrowing. don't want to swim down because if they start to fail strength checks. Those choppy waters, they're going to start to drown. Now, drowning mechanics are kind of... I've argued about drowning mechanics. Listen to the Aquatic Adventures episode, (laughs) 117. Like, we've argued about this in the past, and there are better ways to do combat with drowning, but that's so deadly, and that's so fun. Your your Sea Fury does not need to do anything else. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about uh, plot hooks. Brad? All right. Uh, Plot hooks. It's going to be the battle of the... I mean, if you're having this many sea hags in one place, word is going to travel to the point where they create a sea fury. Mm-hmm. And 
if you are going to be an adventuring party that's going to be willing to face off against this, you're going to be high enough level. So you're basically going to be some of the only people who are around who have the ability to deal with this. So someone's going to come and say, we're losing ships left, right, and center to this section of the sea. It's right in the middle of a major shipping path. And we can't get goods from one end of the continent to the other. We have to do everything over land and it's just costing us. We need someone to take this out or at least get her to move out of the area. Okay. Adam? A Kraken is a CR-23. Your level 13 party can't take them alone. The plot hook is get the three covens or the four covens of, of sea hags together to build a super coven and then attack the Kraken. You defeat the Kraken, everything's great, and the coven disappears and comes back three or four levels later to really fuck your day. There's a sea fury now, right? Like, yeah. um, maybe you even do that at low level just so that like you can have that sea fury be a real problem. So level eight, you're doing this. We defeated a Kraken at level eight because we had all of these sea hags on our side. We made a deal and everything's good. Yay, we rode seahorses into battle. It was so cool. Well, wait for this. It. This is how you get your uh, party to create their own big bad, which you have used to perfection multiple times. I'm doing it right now. Yeah, where you're just like, I'm. You are setting up by necessity as a party the threads that will create the big bad evil guy of this campaign. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, you will look back and be like, Oh, we shouldn't have done all that shit. That was dumb. Meanwhile. No, no, this is where everything was supposed yeah, to be. It was never there was right. never any other option. Yeah. Oh no, there were six other options, but they were all worse. Yeah. yeah. At the time. <laughs> yeah. But like you went with the easiest option six times and now you have a sea fury. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. For me, I love the fact that sea furies are these um like these layer actions of the sea fury. I think one of the ones where um uh we are overlooking is the fact that all water within 120 feet of them can turn cloudy or murky and just Mm -hmm. like be ruined um i want to use like this aura that they have where just water and everything is corrupted around them you got to be careful with that though because then you're gonna fuck up your fear gaze your death gaze because they've got to be able to see you so so be careful with true true 100 they could also turn it off at will right if they wanted to do that so well i also love the idea of everybody being blind in the area and kind of feeling around in like waist deep water and then all of a sudden they bump into the sea fury yeah like you're playing whack-a-mole in the mist so good so guys as we're wrapping up this episode i just want to ask you guys what insights and we're going to roll for this what insights do um hags and what we've learned about hags today offer for your future homebrew campaigns got an 11 15 12 oh brent's not going first there you go but dan's still going last yeah (laughs) um hurt children i mean please don't no but like that that even sea hags should be going after the Mm -hmm. children we didn't we didn't touch on it but like hurt children that is the hag thing to do yes is you you harm beautiful little children because that is the thing that you, you are evil and and that is what they've always done. And so you should be going after all of the kids. Your hag the... should be going after all of the kids. Yeah. Well, yeah. Your hags. Yes, absolutely. I don't want to be on a watch list. Your hags are going oh, towards. I don't be like seriously hurt children. You, you trip on those little bastards in the park. I mean, that's just, that's just good comedy for everybody, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, kids. I can watch Fallout Bucks <laughs> all day. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you, kids. <laughs> all right. Um, biggest insight I took away. Really lean into the ugliness of your hags, especially if you're going to use sea hags. 
Um, the shape-shifting is great. I think people like to really lean into that, but there's a lot of utilization that can come from just having an ugly creature. Oh, I want a hag to have a quado. Oh, Quaid. <laughs> Quaid. <laughs> Turn off the reactor. <laughs> I bet it'd be so much fun. Is that... So in Pathfinder, it's not a thing in D&D 5e because it has standards. But Pathfinder had no a standards. Yeah. tumor familiar. Yes. You could that grow a familiar yeah. that was a tumor that would move around your body. Yeah. Hags have those. That's, that's just that's just how yeah, all of my hags will now have those. Yeah. I think it's absolutely phenomenal to be like, oh, all I need for payment is a kiss. I'm like, oh God, you're gross and ugly, but okay. I'm like, no, no, no. Not not here. And like like pulls back the shawl from their shoulder. Oh. Like, the kiss. It's so so bad. Oh, um, no, thank you. Some insights uh, sorry, what I pulled from this is um I have always criticized D&D 5e for being light on horror. Um, Not so with hags. The level of fae folklore bullshit you could throw at your party exclusively using hags is monumental. They're truly horrifying. Use them for your folklore, your like um, grim fairy tale level, like the old ones where like the... The everyone had quills and and the children always died at the end of the story. I want those level of like witches and hags in my campaigns. No hag is ever just a like, here's a golden apple. <laughs> no hag's ever going to be that for me anymore. No. They are twisted, disgusting, thoroughly malicious, thoroughly evil, and want, smarter than if you. If you want the apple, use a witch. Right, and there are all sorts of NPC stat blocks that you can use for yeah. arcane casters, and just make them craven old women. Eat the apple, yeah. right? Sure. But that's not a hag. No, yeah, hag's much worse. Okay, how excited are you to use hags in the future, guys? Same initiative. As excited as I've always been, I fucking love hags. Yeah, they're yeah. the. You have just discovered in your last session, Dan, that the hags. In my world, are back and they're already an issue. You are level two, <laughs> so they are they are on an island called Wolf Island. And Adam goes, "Oh yeah, you know what?" Uh, one of the NPCs goes, "Yeah, we just got to make our way to Wolf Island." And I just look over at Adam and he grins at me. I'm like, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> All the players know, but none of the characters do, and they're like, "Fuck!" <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to go see Granny. How can we learn this meta knowledge before we get there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, I'm no more or less excited because I've always loved running into hags and dealing with them. I think they're underutilized, but well represented within the documents we have. Cool. Um, Brad, I say this to you, but also to four other people that I know are listening to this podcast right now, um, specifically sea hags and maybe a sea fury or four have found their way into my world as of tonight. And, um, (laughs) certain groups of people will, uh, see them sooner than they think. Cool. Awesome. So that'll be it for part one of our discussion on hags. We've got a lot more to cover with hags. The next time we circle back to the topic. So subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be returning to our discussion about homebrew content. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you want to support us, we have a donate button on our website, itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some awesome merch. 
We also rely on word of mouth to get the news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. All right, guys. Is this how we're going to talk about how Brad just said mouth? By word of mouth. And it was like weirdly. Mouth. Maybe I'm just turned on because it's a Hags episode. Uh, probably. Anyways. I mean, you, you, it was the moistness. I, I thought it was cold. I thought it was cold at first, but I was like, it's actually pretty warm in here. But I mean, it's Adam's not getting hot in here. All right. So there's one more type of hag that we would like to cover on this episode. Or actually, three hags specifically that I want to cover on this episode. And um, they appear in Candlekeep Mystery. So just a warning, spoiler warning, for the price of beauty adventure that is in can- the Candlekeep Mysteries, they are heavily present there. So spoiler warning for that campaign. Now, in that adventure, three green hags who call their coven the Fetid Gaze call an ancient bathhouse slash temple to Soon home. If you don't know who Soon is, she is the... Uh, uh, the Forgotten Realms God of Beauty. Yes. She's also called the Redheaded Maiden. Um, she is tall. So that's by... what we call Adam. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She is the goddess of love and physical beauty in D&D. So am I, yes. Uh, well, anyway. Anyways. Um, so, Or at least I will be soon. <laughs> anyways, this location, it, they won, this Coven of Hags won by tricking the original owner and the writer of the book... Same person mm-hmm. that this is focused on. All the Candlekeep mysteries involve a book, um, and that book is called *The Price of Beauty*. Um, soon, like I said earlier, is the redheaded goddess of love, beauty, and art. So three green hags moving in also bring in some drama. The temple contains three buildings, but only one of them is open to the public, and it is a bathhouse because, of course, it is. Now this looks much the same as it did when it originally was built. And although staffed by primarily the coven's twisted servants in disguise, is still largely functional. They have people come in to use the uh, facilities. The other two buildings... No, no, no. They don't come in to use the facilities. This is a bathhouse, not a bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) They're interchangeable. Pardon? No, they are not. I am not going to... Do not pee in the pool, damn it! (laughs) The other two buildings operate as a lair for the hags and as a prison... For one special guest. The coven calls themselves, of course, the Fetid Gaze. And originate like many hags in the forests of the Fey Wild. They form a sort of a mutual information swap to create paintings that walk and curse mortals. And they found, claiming the Temple of the Restful Lily, as it's called, a perfect place for their plans. The coven are three green hags, disguised as fair and beautiful elf maidens. First of them is the Dread Morgan who appears as a slender, dark-haired moon elf that runs the business of the bathhouse. Her real form is a bent, hideous, and pale, with dark matted hair and a wide joker-like smile. She will find subtle ways to insult a person, seeks to rule the coven, and is drawn to strong and powerful people. The vile Sasha appears as the fit and golden Azrissa, an athletic, armor-donning sun elf with flowing copper-red hair and a high, playful voice. Her real form is hunched with one overly muscular and oversized arm and a singular weak arm. 
Her rusty hair is painted to her pale skin, and her misshapen mouth and fangs cause her to slur her speech. She hates fire and physical weakness, but especially hates dwarves who burned down her home and killed her daughter. Finally, Auntie Greenbones is the oldest of the coven and the most devious. Her disguise is a cheerful, blind, wood elf named Greensong. She is cheery and has a light, playful, melodious voice. She has a pet, Morty, a massive, friendly mastiff with her at all times. However, in reality, Green Bones is a shriveled, green-skinned woman covered in bark, fungus, and insects. Her eyes are milky white, and anyone who stares too long into them sees themselves decrepit with age. Oh, and her guard dog? That's also an illusion. Morty is actually a surly hellhound. She is patient, old, and crooked. The idea of a pure-hearted person makes her physically ill, often resulting in her actively throwing up on them. She has a bright side, though. When distracted, she hums old Feywild tunes to herself and loves and protects her best friend, Morty. Now, as a coven, they can, of course, cast up to six-level spells. Uh, some highlights from their spell list include Otto's Irresistible Dance. Nice, good, yep. Blight, Seeming, and the aptly named Witchbolt. As for minions in their employ at the temple, uh, you have the aforementioned Morty, of course, but also a Cambian named Saith, who seeks information about the cursed paintings that the coven makes. There's six animated scarecrows who, although transformed to look like, and it says this, exceptionally attractive people, are mute and work the bathhouse in place of the old attendants who were brutally murdered and eaten by the coven. There are also two gargoyles that fill the role of guards of the coven's horrible lair. Now, the coven uses the temple as a place to find new victims to torment and bind to paintings. They charm and manipulate their clientele in the day and attempt to get individuals alone to bring them to the back for some special attention. A magical treatment tailor-made to the individual and ultimately designed to bind that individual to a cursed painting. They may also try to hire strong adventurer-looking folks to take out the capricious elemental spirit, which is a myad named Sirena, that has tried to take over the bathhouse or trick them into a room with a snaky-headed and cursed former owner of the bathhouse resting in a sacred pool below. But, like most hags, they are all horribly jealous and suspicious of each other and hate each other passionately. Each of them would love to learn what the others know in the steps to craft these paintings, and that hoarded information is critical to the cohesion of the coven. So we mentioned the transformation above, this uh, magical uh, treatment. Well, how does that work? The hags have a knack for drawing out the insecurities of people and will lead a person to undergo one of three rituals. Firstly, they can have an ability enhanced. You get a plus two for one ability, only one per character, don't get too greedy. You can also change your race, gender, or appearance as part of the bargain. And finally, your age can be increased or decreased to sit one year more than the standard adulthood of your race. No, all of these benefits last no longer than a year or if the painting is destroyed. Should you commit to the change with the measly flaw of my appearance and how others perceive me is of utmost importance to me, the true cost of the magic comes due when you make it a, when you make it the year or renounce the boon. When this happens, you are irrevocably changed depending on what your boon is. You wanted new strength, you were stricken with helplessness. Read the last half of Flowers of Algernon for a hint. Beauty, you now make the coven in their natural form look like Victoria's Secret models. Youth, well, 
you get to order off the senior menu now and go to bed at 5 p.m. It sounds great. <laughs> so, don't take their boon, obviously. But should you or an NPC you know do it, and you seek to destroy the painting, that the witch is made, you need to understand the process of making them first. Each witch contains a step of the process that you could, from their cold dead hands, wrest from each hag. Or you could spend an hour in a successful arcana check to figure it out. Next, you can attempt an athletics check to just try to break the painting. Failure results in a big shock of psychic damage to the person trying to break it. Or you could pour some fresh celestial blood. You got that just lying around. Yep. Um, on it to destroy the curse of the painting, which I guess works too. Oh, and part of the curse, it should be mentioned, is that whoever is cursed is compelled to not destroy their own painting. Naturally. Okay? So these three hags are vicious and vile. They're sapping this to, uh, uh, attaching people to these paintings and then basically draining their life to watch them just wither and die. Tempting them to, like, benefit them. Uh, this is, even power gamers are going to be like, wait, I could get a plus two to strength? All right, I'm down. Yeah, but in a year, you will be helpless. Yeah, but most D&D campaigns don't last longer than a week in world, right? Yeah, I might hasten that schedule a little bit if I was doing this. I won't even, though, because if you're playing through Candlekeep, I mean, you got to go to and from that castle like 17 fucking times. Yeah. Like, it's... And you go into the Feywild a couple times? Oh, yeah. Like, time moves differently there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I like them. I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I do, too. I it's also like the cool. fact that they are... Uh, I didn't really hit it on it, but, like, some of the language describing these hags as they're in their elf forms they are there to seduce your party so this is one of those uh situations where the beautiful and the artistic Mm -hmm. i also want to point out soon is the god of art and here these guys are making art it's just cursed and evil yeah right like there that hits on so many levels of why green hags and hags are the way that they are and how they function it hits it really well Three guys posturbating. Three guys <laughs> masturbating. <I'm> the... <laughs> just a circle of jerks. The jerk circle. Adam's not chiming in. Cold open, guys. We gotta rein them in for this. Yes. No masturbation jokes in the cold open anymore. <laughs> just in the cold open, though, so yeah. we're good for the rest of the episode. Yeah, throw all that shit on the end if you want. Thanks for listening. Bye.